The following message is from Temple Bible Church. For more information about the church and its ministries, visit www.templebiblechurch.org. We're going to be looking at Galatians 5, 16-26, keeping in step with the Spirit. If you'd like, go ahead and open to that. Tuesday night, like many of you, I, uh, I stayed up late getting the, uh, the election results live. Um, it was, uh, you know, quite the historic night. I thought it was like more historical than it actually turned out to be. I thought I heard somebody on one of the, the stations, I was kind of scanning back between them, say that it was the first time since 1928 for the Republicans to hold the House, the Senate, and the presidency. And then somebody told me last day, no, it was 2007. I'm like, oh, Really? Well, that's not nearly as good of a story, man. But, uh, but I also realize this, that it has been a very contentious uh, year in our, in our country. And, uh, and for, for some of you guys I know, I mean, you're like on cloud nine and you're excited about uh, things. And for some of you, uh, not so much, right? And, uh, and I just thought it'd be really important for us to start off this morning um, declaring that we are one people, God's people that we serve a risen king and his kingdom is still intact and we are all one a part of it. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we do give you the applause. We do. We recognize, Father, you deserve the glory for the, um, the, the, the beauty of the gospel. That you call people from every tribe, every nation, every circumstance, every color, every situation, and we can become one people. Father, that is a, that's an astounding thought, that we can love one another, that we can be brothers and sisters together, united. So Father, we do, we give you the praise that we have the privilege to be the body of Christ. And what is so hard for us, I think, to see right now, we look forward to the day that is coming when it is going to be made so, so clear that you have done what, uh, what, what man has never, ever been able to do. You have truly made... Uh, a people that was so different, you have made us one. So Father, we praise you in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen. So true story, I really did go to bed very late Tuesday night. Um, uh, wake up at 5.30 in the morning after going to bed at 2.30 in the morning. So doing the math, three hours of sleep. And I wake up in a cold sweat. I am having a full-on nightmare. And so in my dream... I dreamt that all of us as TBC, all of us as the church, went to New York City to be part of one of the, uh, the two uh, parties that was going to go on after the election, right? After the election results. Uh, and by the way, that's not the nightmare. That's just backstory. Okay? Some of y'all are like, whoa, that's scary. <clears throat> but so I assume in my dream that uh, that had taken place. And now we're all at the airport together. So we're trying to catch the very last flight heading for Central Texas, and we all have our boarding passes. We're at the terminal. They have completely overbooked the flight, and we're no longer looking around at one another like brothers and sisters in Christ. We're kind of seeing each other's as impediments to the goal, right, of getting on the plane. And so we're all crowding in. We're all trying to reach in with our boarding passes, and the attendant takes what are the last three people. She takes the last three boarding passes. I happen to be one of them, right? It's my dream, okay? Don't take it away from me. And so then she scans them and drops them. 
And as she's picking them up, not knowing who they go to, another attendant says to her something, whispers something in her ear, and then she turns to me, looking rather apologetic, and, uh, and I'm like, uh-oh, this doesn't look good. And she says, I, I'm so glad that you guys, y'all must be Christians, I guess? And I'm like, really? How'd you know? <laughs> the way we're acting right now, how did you know? And she says, because I've got some really bad news, and I'm so glad that you guys are, because we'll... The, the plane is booked, so the, there's no room for the rest of you, and there's only two seats left. So of the three of you, one of you needs to stay behind. So can I ask you to choose who that person's going to be? Now, I want you guys to know, I mean, I know that, like, like so I'm, as a pastor in this body, folks are all watching me to see how I'm going to react to this situation, and, uh, and so, and I also know that I don't have any sympathy from you guys, because at least I made it that far, Right? So there's no sympathy here, and this is going on in my mind, and I wake up realizing that there's a battle going on within me in my, in my dream. One side of me, the fleshly side of me, is just making a, a great case for why I need to get on that plane, get home to a warm bed, and the Spirit is also right there telling me to give up your seat, Shannon. Give up your seat. Quit looking out for yourself. And know that I have got this. Within every child of God, there are two natures within us seeking for control. That's what Galatians 5.16 says. So I say to you, live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of your sin nature. For the sinful nature desires what's contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what's contrary to the sinful nature. So that's the, that's the battle, that's the conflict within us. And I've kind of shared one circumstance where, where that uh, gets exposed in me, what, what inflames, if you will, my sin nature. But what about you? What is the likely situation that would cause that to happen within yourself? So I've got some questions for, I want, uh, for you to consider as you think about this. The absence of what causes me to want to give up and quit. The pursuit of what leads me to feel overburdened and overwhelmed. The fear of what makes me tentative and timid rather than courageous and hopeful. The craving for what makes me burn the candle at both ends or seek the bottle or an Amazon or department store shopping spree, the pill or images on the internet. The need for what robs my life of its beauty and joy. The desire for what sets up tension between me and others. The loss of what causes me to become fearful, cruel, and controlling. See, these these questions really do um, remind us of the many circumstances in our life where our sin nature seeks to manage life in its own power. In essence, to uh, kind of seek its own salvation and not embrace the gospel. So this has really been the heart of Paul's message to the church in Galatia throughout this letter, is this this question. Will you embrace the unadulterated gospel that brings freedom, or would you rather uh, add your own fleshly signature to it so that you feel more valuable to God? And we find ourselves Again and again and again, throughout every day in these moments, we're, we're, we're making a decision, wrestling with that very thing. 
For the Jews, no doubt, it came to be represented as circumcision. For the church over the last hundred years or so, I don't know, it's been, you know, not drinking and dancing or going with girls that do. There's been so many different things that we would put there. But here's the thing I've realized that maybe over the last couple months, we're reminded of the fact that it may be for you what, what political party you vote for. Paul says that the moment you add anything to Jesus' work on the cross, you're adding some reason for you to boast, and it's no longer the gospel that you're trusting in. It's just not. You're not trusting in the gospel. You're not walking in freedom, and you're not resting in your Savior. You're not resting in Jesus' finished work on the cross. And yet, and yet, through the gift of the Holy Spirit residing within us, do you realize that God has given us a new nature? He's given us new power to flourish and to bear His image to the world around us. As a pastor through the years, I, I, you know, I didn't know when I came to faith what to think of the Spirit and the whole nature of the Trinity, and it's, that's just a crazy thought. No doubt Father, Son, and Spirit, all persons and all one God. And, but he had such a bad rap, you know, as I looked around at different churches, he had such a bad rap. But as the years went on, and I really began doing the work and ministry as a pastor, I can tell you, the Spirit is absolutely pivotal for us to be the people of God. Y'all realize that? Like for me to individually be a follower of Christ, bearing his image to the world, or for us to be the collective body of Christ, the church, the spirit is absolutely necessary for that to happen. Before the day of Pentecost, you know that day when all the disciples were gathered together in the upper room waiting for this this gift that Jesus promised was coming. As they were all there, um, the, the time happened when the spirit descended upon them. They were baptized in the Spirit, and the church at that moment was born, right? But before then, followers of God did not have the ability. They couldn't love, and they couldn't obey. Not really. Not without God's Spirit living within them. So the gift of the Holy Spirit in the life of every believer is absolutely necessary in order for God's people to be his image bearers. It says uh, in Ezekiel 36, this is um, God wanting to speak to Israel. This is hundreds of years before the time of Jesus and Israel's in captivity and he's sending a message to them. He knows, it's like, I know it's hard now. I know this is really, really rough, but I want you to know a time is coming when it's going to radically change. And he says this through Ezekiel. He says, the time is coming when I will remove your heart of stone and I'm going to give you a heart of flesh. And I'll put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. Like he's saying that once this happens, once this, this comes and I replace your heart with one that can actually beat for me, you're going to be people who love. You're going to be people who, who, who can obey me. Jesus, right before he was arrested, makes this promise to his disciples. He says, if you love me, you will obey what I command. And I'll ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor, a counselor of a different kind, to be with you forever, the spirit of truth. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. So he's promising them that this, the day is going to come 
when, when they're going to have another counselor. When we are going to have another counselor. The Spirit is going to be ours. And Jesus promises that He is going to continue to come to us through the Spirit. Because that's what the Spirit does. Every child of God. Every child of God. Everyone who calls on the name of Christ. If you genuinely know Christ. And, the, the, and God has gifted you with His Holy Spirit residing Within you, and that happened at the point of salvation. It's what it says in Ephesians 1 13 and 14. You can look it up later. But we are sealed in Christ with this great deposit, um, looking ahead for the time that we will receive our, the, the, the full payment of our salvation. So in Galatians 5 now, 16 through 26, Paul turns, he like it turns the spotlight on this whole argument about the nature of the gospel, and he's now going to say, on center stage now, we have Holy Spirit. It's through the Holy Spirit. That's the way that uh, His presence is going to be understood within the, with every child of God. And what's going to happen is the Spirit is going to desire to put to death our sin nature. That's what the Spirit's going to do. That's the, the point of the conflict within us. He's going to want to put to death our sin nature. Especially in all those circumstances in your life where you're tempted to kind of lean back into your flesh and manage things on your own. The Lord says, no, I want you in those moments of frustration, those moments of difficulty, those moments where something unexpected happens and you're tempted to do that, I want you to lean in to me. Allow God to control your hearts and not your old sin patterns. So that's what he says in Galatians 5, 16 through 18, and then 24 through 26. He says, so I say, live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the sin nature. For the sin nature desires what's contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what's contrary to the sin nature. They are in conflict with each other, so that you do not do what you want. But if you're led by the Spirit, you're no, no longer under the law. And then down in verse 24, those who belong to Christ have crucified the sinful nature, with its passions and its desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking, and envying each other. And so the big question that we have to answer is, so how do we do that? How do we stop sinning and walk in the Spirit? Well, there's a couple things I think that we naturally go to, a couple that seem just like intuitive to us. The most obvious is we just say, well, I'm going to quit sinning. You know, I'm going to white knuckle it and just in my own strength try to stop sinning. And that doesn't take long before we realize that probably does not work so well, right? We, because it's when we begin to do that that we realize just how rebellious our, our nature really is. Because what, what my nature is really good at is looking out for me. My nature is really, really good. It's, it is absent of all good, um, and, and it looks out for number one. So I think this is an important step in our process, to learn that I can't look within myself. I don't have the strength to do it. I have to look to God. I have to reach to God in order for me to be able to, to stop sinning. Um, by the way, let me just say that uh, the ugly desires that we see from time to time in our life, it's easy for us to kind of package those as such, as ugly desires. But, uh, but I would say this, that the fall did not just mar us, you know, scrape against us and give us ugly desires. 
It shattered our ability to love anything except that which advantages self. That's what the fall did. So it's not just an occasional ugly desire. The fact is what I'm up against is something that there's no way for me to defeat on my own because it is always, it is always looking out for what advantages self. So if it's not white knuckling, it maybe I can just indulge my sin nature, right? If I indulge it, maybe the, its desires will, you know, subside and it'll go away. I mean, it makes sense. You go, well, you know, I, I, I eat when I'm hungry. I sleep when I'm tired. So it makes sense. You know, I'm just going to punch something or someone when I'm angry, right? That doesn't work really well, but, but, but we think, well, that's, surely that's going to do it. But we realize that doesn't work because indulging the flesh never satisfies the flesh. It always inflames the flesh, right? The flesh wants more. You see, our sin nature is that, is that sin-desiring aspect of our whole being as opposed to the God-desiring aspect of us. And, and let me say this. It is a cruel, cruel master. It always demands more. Timothy Keller writes this about our sin nature or flesh. Uh, he describes it as that which over-desires. He said, the flesh is a primordial self-righteousness that rejects salvation by sheer grace and it insists on self-salvation. Thus, it turns some good thing into an idle savior, which we then begin to over-desire. So all of our worries, our fears, our bitterness, our entrenched bad habits come from these over-desires. The flesh's over-desires arise from a heart that is afraid to trust God and desires rather to be its own Savior and its own Lord. So white-knuckling it doesn't work. Indulging the sin nature doesn't work. So how do we do it? How do we keep from gratifying the desires of the sin nature? Paul spells it out. It's the clearest mandate right at the beginning of the section. He says that we are to live by the Spirit. Live by the Spirit. It's truly impossible for us to live in sin when we are living by the Spirit. Do you realize that? It would be like you going out and hopping in your car after church and heading north. And as you're heading north, the thing you realize is that you can't also be heading south at the same time. Right? You can't be going north and south at the same time. You're going to do one or the other. And that's the nature between the spirit and the flesh. But, but additionally, there's something else that's really important here. Because when you're living by the spirit, your desires, your very desires begin to change. That's why Paul says, he says they, the spirit and the sin nature, they're in conflict with each other so that you do not do what you want. The Spirit, you see, doesn't just influence our desires. Hear, hear this. The Spirit doesn't just influence our desires. The Spirit gives us new desires. They're new desires. They're not from within me. I don't naturally do these things. He gives me new desires. So it's, it's not just that, that driving north keeps me from driving south. It's that driving north makes me desire driving south less. I don't know, maybe that's because we now have a Raising Cane's over there with special sauce, you know. And on the north side, and if you go south, you just have the other chicken place with just gravy. I don't know, but I just had like Raising Cane's last week. And I'm like, oh, that's the special sauce I've heard about. There you go. 
And I realize I just probably completely eclipsed my point here. So let me, let me reiterate it, right? <laughs> All of y'all are thinking about raising cane, special sauce. Yeah. Well, matter of fact, I'm getting kind of hungry. The more we keep in step with the Spirit, the more we desire to do it. The more or the less the desire is to give in to our flesh. So, but notice the, 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 the metaphor that Paul uses here. He uses the phrase, keep in step with the Spirit in verse 25. It's a picture of walking, is it not? I mean, day by day, I'm just taking a step after step after step, and I'm keeping in step with um, my Savior. I'm walking with God, kind of like Adam did in the cool of the garden, right? I'm just kind of walking along with my, with my Savior, so there's the idea of progress. There's the idea of movement in my life. I'm growing in my life. And for any of you guys who begin to get a taste of growing in Christ, you know, when that begins to happen, it's like, wow, this is good. I'm enjoying this. You know what? Forget the walk. I think I'm just going to take off in a sprint right now, right? And so we want to run ahead of God and we exhaust ourselves and we find out an important principle about, about growth. And that is it takes time to grow. It just takes time to grow. It's clear that the Spirit gives us grace for the place. But this situation that I'm in right now, not for the one that's coming, right? But this, this one right here, I have grace for the place. So I'm not to run ahead, and I'm also not to fall behind. Because after this circumstance where I'm hit with kind of an unexpected frustration, and I choose in prayer to hold on to my Savior, I take another step, Right? And another situation comes along. And I'm called once again in that moment, crucify the flesh, pray to the Lord, hold on to the Lord, and keep in step with him. And we have this, this walk that goes on in our life. I asked uh, our, our, our pastors uh, Wednesday, I said, so how do you know? I mean, like in your own life, what are some things that you think about in terms of knowing that you're walking in the Spirit? So they shared a few that I thought I'd share with you. How do we know that we're in step with the Spirit? The first is that the Spirit moves us to love people and not conquer tasks. You know, when when I'm walking in the Spirit, I can find really quickly that that, that people can feel like they're in the way of my tasks. Matter of fact, as a pastor, I would even say that sometimes people are the are the goal. Like I'm going to be with somebody, and it's really important that I get side, you know, sidelined over here, sidetracked by somebody else. And I just have to go, you know what, Lord? I need to build time into my schedule. <laughs> like I need to leave earlier because that's probably going to happen. And if it doesn't happen, then bonus. But if it does, I've got to trust that your fingerprints are on this because you did not put your spirit within me to accomplish tasks, but to love people and to see people made whole around me. Another that they threw out was whenever you see someone doing a selfless act, it's likely of the spirit. I mean, if it's a selfless act, it's of the spirit because the self does not have a very, because um, uh, my ability as myself is always going to look out for, for me. When you see someone doing a selfless act, it's likely of the Spirit. And finally, the clearest identifier, uh, someone said, was that uh, of God's people is not uh, those who are determined to be right, but those who are determined to serve others. And man, I, I tell you, especially in a Bible church, sometimes I think that we can fall into that trap where, man, I, it's like better to be right than it is to love. Better to share truth 
than mercy? Well, actually, no. Both of them would be important in somebody's life. So we've got to be those um, who recognize, man, God has called us to serve one another. But, but, but no doubt, the clearest way we know that we are actively walking in the Spirit is that you will see the fruit of the Spirit shining forth in your life. You'll see love and, and, and joy and peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And you may think, where did those come from? Like, like that's not even me. There you go. <laughs> it's not you. This did not come from within you. This is the gift of God. It is literally the very nature of our Savior, the very virtues of our Savior shining forth in your life. This is the whole, the idea of being an image bearer to the world around us. And God's saying that I'm the one who's doing it there. Notice what else he says. He says that they are, they are fruit, singular, not fruits of the Spirit. It's fruit of the Spirit. So the idea here is that that they either all grow up because they're all part of the nature of God or none of them are there. When I'm walking in the Spirit, they're all going to be visible or they're not going to be visible. None of them because I'm leaning on my flesh. So they're either all there or they're not there. And here's the, the thing that I find so important about that is that they are not something that is to, are to be developed. They are to be displayed. Like sometimes I think in our, in, our, in our walk with the Lord, we feel like, oh, another thing I got to do, Lord. It's like, Shannon, I want you to rest in my gospel. I mean, Jesus said, come to me all who are weary and I will give you rest. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. Well, here's one of those pictures of that is that it is not you trying to work harder and perfect these virtues because you go, man, I'm terrible at patience. So I'm going to work on patience today. You know, I'm going to work on patience. I'm going to work on self-control, some terrible self-control. No, 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 you, you, you're missing the point. You're, that's, that's the flesh, remember? That's the flesh. Keep in step with the Spirit, and these will be displayed within your life. Rest in me. And by the way, I just have to say this. There's going to be times where we're tempted to say, man, I wonder which is stronger, right? Because we, we, we realize the conflict. And whenever we see conflict, there's the sense of, man, these both seem to be equal in strength and power and nothing could be farther from the truth. We have two cats, two male cats from the same litter. We named them Marco and Polo. Yeah, we thought that'd be cute. And, um, and that was part of the reason, no doubt, but part of the reason was because we could just like picture these guys as they were growing up, chasing each other around our house, you know, tackling one another, wrestling together. Some of y'all are really freaked out right now. I know it, right? You're like cats rolling around the house. Oh my God, it's, it's our house. It's okay, you guys, right? My story. Um, so we, we will get in a discussion sometimes, Susan and I, about who is the stronger cat. Marco is like, he's, he's muscled, he's chiseled, he's lean, he's quick. Um, Polo is like knows, like really knows how to throw his girth around. And so sometimes it looks like Marco wins, sometimes it looks like Polo wins. So we don't know. But here's what I would tell you. I don't know who the alpha male is in our cats, but I can tell you without any question, the alpha male within us in this conflict is the Holy Spirit. No question about it. The Holy Spirit is the alpha male. And so the other thing I would say with that 
If that's the case, and I, and I, and I wrestle with the temptation of the flesh in my life, then, then I would tell you guys, notice what he says in verse 24, that it has been crucified. Like our flesh was crucified in Christ 2,000 years ago. It was rendered powerless except, except the power that you, through either not understanding, ignorance, or rebellion, open rebellion, wanting to do what you want to do, the power that you give it in those situations. But we are called to reckon it dead. To reckon that it does not have the power. Some of us, I think, just think, oh, there's no way I can conquer this. And I'm telling you, you better believe you can conquer it. You've been given everything you need to conquer this. The Holy Spirit living within you has conquered it. Jesus Christ, what he did on that cross 2,000 years ago, absolutely conquered it. The battle is over, except for the battle that you choose to enter into. Look at what Paul says in Galatians 5, 25 and 26. He says, since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. So, so the only thing keeping my flesh in check is the Spirit, um, and, and, and that's important for me to, to, to realize because if that doesn't happen, then you know what begins to emerge within me? Conceit, provoking others, envying others. Matter of fact, I'll just say this is kind of one, the, the backside of the bookend of, of what Paul said earlier. So look back with me, Galatians 5, 13 through 15. This is what Paul says there. We have to understand this to understand where he's going. He says, do not use your freedom to indulge the sin nature. Rather, Serve one another in love. Right? This is one of the, the major pieces of why the Spirit has been given to us, is that we can serve one another in love. He says the entire law is summed up in a single command. Love your neighbor as yourself. And then he says these foreboding words. He says, if you keep on biting and devouring each other, watch out, watch out, or you will be destroyed by each other. Now, I'm not really afraid of waking up tomorrow to uh, The Walking Dead. But um, I do think stories like the zombie apocalypse have a certain, believe it or not, have a certain prophetic voice in our time. Because what I know is what you know, and that is that whether it's at work or on a team or at school, uh, at home, or sadly even at the church, that Paul's warning does not fall on deaf ears. If you keep on biting... And devouring one another, you will be destroyed by each other. And I don't know about you, but I, I see a lot of destruction going on around me. It so saddens my heart when I see folks who have to have their way, who have to boast, who have to get what they want, and they, and they end up creating factions and divisions within churches. It's so, so sad. Years ago, before coming here, um, I was in my office as a youth pastor in another church, and um, I had three of my adults, um, uh, adults that were on my volunteer youth team, uh, ask if they could have a minute of my time. And I said, sure, sure, come on in, sit down, what's on your mind? And they said, well, we're here to exercise Matthew 18. I said, church discipline? On whom? They said, on you. I said, what? On me? What's my sin? And so they spent the next 30 minutes in this real long explanation. 
And I can tell you, it felt, felt like somebody had just sucker punched me. I asked them at the end, could you just give me a little time to process all this? And they said, sure. And I remember going home, and Susan was bathing our son. He had just uh, been born. And I was telling her the story, and I just, I just like, collapsed in a heap. It's like the, my world was spinning around me. I didn't know what to think, but I, as I got myself together, I knew I had to find out. I had to find out, well, maybe I'm missing something, right? I mean, that happens. We have blind spots, so maybe I'm missing something that others, like maybe everybody sees this. So I called a few others that had been on our, our volunteer youth team to ask them, and they said, no, Shannon, we don't see, we don't see anything in your life going on that, that we would be bothered by, that we'd call sin. No, that's not going on. So I checked with the, my parent, I had some parents on a, a team called a parent support team. These were parents of, of students that were in my youth group. And I'm thinking, man, if anybody's going to be honest, you know, <laughs> parents are going to be honest with the youth pastor and tell them what they think. And they too said, I mean, they were, they were dumbfounded. So I checked with our pastoral team to see if they saw anything. They too, it was like, ditto, no, we, we don't see it. The more digging I did, the more I came to find out that these guys, they had been meeting with some others in secret um, staff meetings without inviting me, right? They were like for four or five meetings that they had had in secret about me. And I came to find out there was one guy, a rather charismatic, charismatic guy, that was uh, in seminary and had kind of stirred this whole thing up because he wanted my job. And I just realized, I, I know how ministry just stopped, you know. It was just like, there was so little that went on during that time as we sorted this out and talked our way through it. And, uh, and ministry just stopped. We've got to, to realize that if we keep on biting and devouring each other, we will be destroyed by each other. We have to watch the temptation to slander, to create sides, to, to, to let our flesh make much of ourselves. Or else we have divisions within and without of the church. And so just to make it really clear, Paul spells out what some of these acts of the sinful nature are. Look at Galatians 5, 19 through 21. He says, by the way, they're obvious. He says, you know, I'm not going to have to like prove these to you. You're going you're to know that these are, yeah, this is, this is destructive. You're going to know this is, this is sin. There's something really broken about these. So there's three sexual sins, sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery. There's two religious sins, idolatry and witchcraft. There's eight relational relationship sins. There's hatred, there's discord, there's jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy. And then there's two substance abuse sins, drunkenness and drinking orgies. Now, this is not meant to be like an exhaustive list. Paul's not saying, so here they are, these and no others. <laughs> He's saying, if you see these, then you know what's going on. You know that, uh, that this is not of God, right? When you see these, that God is, the, the, the Spirit is not active in the midst of these. And I also want to, to say that look at the list. Like, there's some things on here you go, man, that's, that's heinous. I, I would never, never. And then some you go, eh. They seem a little bit gentrified, a little cleaned up. What's the big, big deal? Paul says that these are always self-seeking. They arise from a heart that is seeking to save itself, to comfort itself, to protect itself, to justify itself, and to satisfy itself. They all have to do with self. 
So I've got to ask you this question. Is your life characterized by these attitudes and behaviors? And I ask that in love, I do, because look what he says in 521, he says, I warn you, I warn you as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. So let me be clear, Paul is not saying that if any of these have ever been seen in your life, if you've ever noticed these in your life, that somehow you're going to forfeit your salvation, you're going to lose um, God's love in your life, that's not going to happen. We, we, we were reminded of that last week with the, the beautiful message we heard last week about God's faithfulness to us. But Jesus did say of those who would call upon his name, right? He says, you will know them by their fruit. You'll know them by their fruit. So if these are the fruits of your life, I can say this. The Spirit is not in you. The Spirit's not in you. So what fruit is your life bearing? What fruit is your life bearing? You know, where the flesh rejects God's provision of grace and wants to make much of self, the Spirit always wants to make much of Jesus. He always wants to make much of Jesus. The Gospel of John says that the Spirit magnifies Jesus. The Spirit reminds us of Jesus' words and Jesus' teaching. The Spirit assures our hearts of Jesus' work on the cross on our behalf. The way we keep in step with the Spirit, don't miss this. The way we keep in step with the Spirit is that we make sacred space in our lives where the Holy Spirit can magnify Jesus. That's the way it works. So when was the last time that you sat in the presence of your Savior and truly worshipped? If you don't make a regular practice of this, your focus quickly moves from Jesus to yourself. I'm going through a book with one of my interns called Dangerous Calling, and Paul Tripp says this. He says, a human being who is not living in the functional awe of God is a profoundly profoundly disadvantaged human being. Really, he is off the rails, trying to like pull the train of his life in a meadow, and he doesn't even know it. He may not even know it. The spiritual danger here is that when the awe of God is absent, it is quickly replaced by awe of ourselves. So if you're not living for God, the only alternative in your life is that you live for yourself. Say that again. If you're not living for God, the only alternative in your life is that you live for yourself. Scripture bears that out. That's what we're seeing here. And he goes on and he says, you see the, the, the biggest protection against the kingdom of self is a heart that is so blown away by the right here, right now glories of the grace of Jesus Christ that we are not easily seduced by the lesser and temporary glories of the, catas- of the claustrophobic kingdom of one. Kingdom of self. So church, we need a rhythm of sacred space in our lives where we can meditate on the glories and the grace of Jesus Christ. We need quiet. We need the scriptures. We need prayer and perhaps a journal. When and where is this sacred space happening in your life? When and where is it happening in your life?
I thought I'd wrap up today making some sacred space for us to do just that. Making some sacred space for us as a body to be in awe of our Savior. You see, a long, long time ago, God took a week and made a garden. And then he placed man in that garden and he breathed life into his body and made him a living image bearer of God. But sin entered the world and man fell, as did his ability to reflect God's image to those around him. But God in his great mercy set about the greatest rescue mission to redeem mankind. And I love the way John records the climax of this redemption story in John 20. He says this. He says, Then the disciples went back to their homes, but Mary stood outside the tomb crying. And as she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. And they asked her, woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they've put him. At this, she turned around and she saw Jesus standing there, but she didn't recognize him. Woman, he said, why are you crying? Who is it that you're looking for? Thinking that he was the gardener, she said, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where, that you've put, where you've put him and I will go and get him. And Jesus said to her, Mary. And she turned towards him and she cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. And then she goes and tells the disciples, the rest of them, that she has seen their risen Savior. And then in verse 19, it says, on the evening of the first day of the week, When the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. And after he said this, he showed them his hands and his sides. And the disciples were overjoyed when they saw their Lord. And as I read that, I realize how seemingly insignificant a detail it is that John records Jesus' first post-resurrection appearance as that of a gardener. On the first day of a new creation week. And then in verse 21, Jesus says, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. How incredibly significant It is that the Son of God breathed into man now a second time, this this time animating all who would follow with the power to truly love and to truly live. Church, the very best that we can do apart from the gift of life through the Holy Spirit is live subhuman lives, biting and devouring one another. But in Christ, we are now empowered to live fully human lives, sent out as Christ's ambassadors with the power to serve one another in love. Let's pray. Father, we need to be reminded 
of this amazing gift that you knew that we would, that we would need to be able to be the people of God. So the truth is there is something truly that has changed within each one of us when we came to faith. We've been baptized into the Spirit. And Father, I pray that we would learn, that we would begin that, that, that journey if we've not begun it, that we would begin to walk in the Spirit, to keep in step with the Spirit in our lives. And we would find that we have the, the ability to love Father, that, that, that literally the very virtues of our Savior are going to be seen by those around us, by those in the church and outside of the church. And we are going to be known as the people of God, the people who uh, have a different aroma about them. And I pray, Father, that we would be the aroma of life. Father, thank you for your love for us. Thank you for the gift of the Spirit. And thank you for this, this week ahead of us, Father. This, this new week, if we will, to go out and be the people of God. In the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.